The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. This episode of the Bear Stock Underground is brought to you by Sports Drink, your digital water cooler. Sports Drink is a newly created internet community that tries to find the intersection of sports and not sports. They're here to help us grow and to hate your favorite team. A rising tide lifts all boats, so go check them out online or in social. Go to sportsdrink.org or open Instagram and type in sports drink. Spelled like sports drink, but without the vowels. So S-P-R-T-S-D-R-N-K. All we ask is that you close the door behind you. We're trying not to let out the funk. (laughs) What's up, guys? So we finally reached the end of the road of our 2022 opponent preview series this time uh we're looking at the opponent that is ourselves um because i mean it's a brand new year a brand new regime new general manager new head coach um you know everything under the sun we got you know two-thirds of a brand new uh roster if, if not more uh and everything coming into camp uh, this weekend you know, rookies report on Saturday the 23rd, veterans report on Monday the 25th, and then we're off to the races. Uh, and, and uh, you know, first preseason game is Saturday afternoon, August 13th, uh, against the Chiefs, and I think it was it's the Seahawks and then the Browns, I think, before, we, uh, before the preseason concludes. And um, since we have nine home games this year, on that odd 17-game schedule. Uh, this year, we only have one preseason game. So that's 10 home games total. Last year, we had we had two preseason home games, and uh, you know how the math works. But still, you know. But, uh, I mean, today is the 20th of July. This episode drops tomorrow on the 21st. This is when you guys will be listening to it so we're 48 hours away from camp beginning and you know 96 hours from the veterans really getting it underway and then just, we're, we're less than a month away we're three weeks from the first preseason game on on August 13th and then we'll really be I mean we'll be you know the first review episode uh, of 2022 after we talk about the first preseason game and uh, and everything and then we'll be back to it as as usual Four episodes a week throughout the season, uh, each and every week. And, uh, you know, life will be back to normal once again. I'll be, you know, busy with the show, be busy with football. I got the Bears on Sundays. Uh, You know, we got, let's see, we got a Saturday game against the Bills. We got Thursday against the, I was going to say Redskins, Commanders. And we got a Monday nighter against the uh, Patriots. But other than that, it's all Sunday uh, mostly at noon, except for the legally mandated Sunday night appearance with the Green Bay Packers week two. And, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to it. And then, of course, any games we may or may not get flexed uh, into the Sunday night spot. So that'll be fun. But, um, you know, it, it's we, we have our great friend, Lauren Cox, uh, from Locked on Bears. He's going to be here with us in just a moment discussing 
uh, everything. I mean, we, we cover, I, I wanted to kind of gloss over 2021, but we, we, <laughs> we kind of got into it, uh, on 2021. Then, you know, the, the, the exhaustive search to find the new general manager, the new head coach, um, you know, Ryan Poles not being a liar about being players in the second and third wave of free agency, not being very active in that first wave where the big money contracts, uh, are handed out, uh, how the draft was handled and everything else. And then, of course, we wrap up talking about the, uh, the schedule and all the possibilities that are there and, and how it is a schedule where, you know, maybe we drop one here, but there's an opportunity with the way the schedule falls to maybe pick up some ground and things like that. So maybe an eight and nine, nine and eight record isn't out of the possibility, uh, even though this is a first year squad with the new head coach and the new GM and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's going to be an interesting season, and we, we can't wait for it to begin just so we can start to, to answer some of these questions. Like, are the talking heads right? Are the Bears going to be the worst team in football? Is, you know, Justin Fields not the answer uh, at quarterback? Will the Bears look to move on next year when they have a full slate of draft picks and, like, the second highest salary cap number in the, in the league? So uh, it's all very interesting, and uh, Lauren and I talk about it all. As we do, you know, so get comfy because uh, we're going to put it all into this and um, we don't get to talk to Lauren again until week 14 when we have our bye. But we, as you'll hear there, we also kind of discuss maybe we do like a quarterly report after week four. We have him back after week eight. We have him back that kind of thing uh, throughout the year instead of waiting until the bye week all the way down to week 14 to have him back. So uh, anyway. I'm going to stop telling you what we were talking about and let you hear us talk about it, by God. Uh, so here it is, myself and Lauren Cox previewing our beloved Chicago Bears for 2022 here on the Bears Talk Underground. So let's get to it. Hang up the telephone. I hear the dial tone. Ringing out loud and I don't know. So here we are, folks. This is the main event, fourth and final NFC North preview. And, of course, it is about our beloved Chicago Bears as we wrap up the 2022 opponent preview series and here as always to help us trudge through the muddy waters that is the Chicago Bears our good friend from Locked On Bears Lauren Cox Lauren welcome back man hey thanks so much for having me appreciate it so how has your offseason been because uh, I know it's been entertaining and also depressing and uh, everything else in between yeah, that's a pretty good way to describe it. It's been eventful, just, you know, like it hasn't been completely, you know, without any sort of movement or action in it. Just maybe not exactly what we were fully looking for or expecting, but, you know, it's created plenty of media narratives and, and off-season talking points. There's at least like, it feels like there's things going on and things to be said about this team. It's it's at least not boring. Right, and especially the last few weeks with the talking heads slash experts latching on to the idea that the Bears will be, not could be, but will be the worst team in the NFL in 2022. And uh, I've mentioned this a few times, especially talking to our other NFC North brethren, that uh, the, the most difficult part is we're not exactly loaded for Bear as far as being able to uh, argue against that right now it's like yeah we don't have the world's greatest roster uh there's still a lot of questions about our 
quarterback. We do have a brand new, uh, you know, head coach that brought in a brand new first time offensive uh, play caller. He's not going to do any play calling himself, as, as meaning our head coach. He's going to hand that off to our new defensive coordinator, who is also switching us back from the three four to the four three. Uh, again, uh, Poles, our brand new general manager, basically gutted our roster and reshaped it um, in his image, at least for year one uh, anyway. And we brought in a bunch of people that most people have never heard of before. So I can't really argue uh, too much against the fact that Bears might be the worst team in the NFL when it's all said and done this year. At least you feel like you're at a point where you'll learn a lot about this general manager, right? Yeah. I mean, with so much of that quick turnover, it felt like with Ryan Pace, you know, he inherited the Mark Trestman team. And yeah, there was turnover, but there was, it took, you know, it was a longer multi year process to really sort of churn through the, the last regime's guys, you know, with Cutler sticking around and, you know, eventually getting to Mitch Trubisky and all that. Like for the most part, I mean, it's not that it's completely Ryan Poles' team now, but he certainly accelerated that and put, his guys in big enough positions to where we'll learn fairly quickly how good of a talent evaluator he was. Amen. I mean, and and the thing was, you got an idea very early on the kind of people that he wanted to have on this football team. Like uh, one of the buzzwords for coaching changes is culture change. And, you know, you got an idea for the kind of, for the kind of players, maybe not so much the kind of culture, but definitely the kind of players that Ryan Poles was after. You know, he was after kind of like hard-nosed, lunch-pail, you know, kind of guys that are going to come in uh, and work and not do a whole lot of talking, lead by example, play by example, uh, and all that kind of stuff. And um, he certainly also kind of brought in a bunch of guys that he thought would be, that have reason to be or always have been kind of hungry guys, always reaching for more guys that maybe got drafted or were un, uh, you know drafted late in the draft or undrafted free agents that had to fight their way into the NFL, that, that basically their greatest achievement in life would be to earn a second contract in the NFL. And here we are. He signed a bunch of those guys, uh, you know, bringing them in. Also, he, you know, he did what he could because the cupboard was bare. We had about $30 million in cap space and five draft picks going into this thing. And boy, did he you know, sprinkle some fairy dust and turn, it in, turn nothing into something uh, once he took the job. Well, you've got those players coming in setting the culture, and you know, three of them have been arrested. Yeah. And that, that's, such a, that's such a tough thing because, like, yes, it looks bad on the culture, but also, like, is Ryan Poles supposed to talk to Byron Pringle and predict, you know what, this is somebody who's going to get arrested. I'm not going to sign him. Like, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, I don't know that there's this way that the general manager is supposed to to know that Matthew Adams would happen to take some firearms into Chicago that he has licensed in another state right. and didn't have licensed in that. Like, that's not going to come up in the free agent process, you know? So it's like, I, I, I try not to kill him on that too much, but the optics- Yeah, it's, it's funny, though, how the crimes seem to have progressively gotten worse with each one. So I imagine next somebody's going to, you know, assault someone or there's going to be an attempted murder uh, on the next one, God forbid, because we went from, uh, you know, joyriding and reckless driving to a concealed weapon uh, and all the way to weapons and drug charges on the third guy. So it's like, okay, what's next? If we get somebody else arrested during training camp, we're going to find a dead hooker in the car. I mean, what the hell's going on here? Yeah, say so the third one is especially the the hardest because, like, you know, he was like reportedly, allegedly asleep in like a Taco Bell parking lot or drive through with with drugs and had been like oh intoxicated. I mean, that that speaks a little bit more like bad decision making character stuff. Whereas yeah. 
you know, Matthew Adams, I mean, yeah, I guess Byron Pringle too a little bit, but Matthew Adams just sort of, even though it's big, big guns can kind of carry that sort of concept with it still is like, he, he does have them licensed. It's not like they were illegal. It just happened to not be under the right licensure in the right place. Right. So real quick, let's, let's uh, glaze over the, the awesomeness that was the 2021 season uh, real quick. We have our inauspicious debut on Sunday Night Football at the Rams, where we displayed the fact that um, our our defensive backfield thought they were still in college uh, because they let Van Jefferson catch the football, fall to the ground, and not touch him so that he would just get up and run in for a touchdown. So what should have been maybe like a 40-yard reception becomes a 75-yard touchdown pass just like that. And uh, just for shits and giggles, they did it again in Week 18. So we had a nice little bookend of incompetence there. Uh, by our defensive uh, backfield, both losses, by the way, thirty-four to fourteen to the Rams, thirty-one to seventeen to close out the year against the Vikings. Uh, we had that that win where you know we we thought that uh, you know you always kind of be skeptical about Week One losses because you wonder is this what we're dealing with here or was this kind of a fluke you know Week One thing? Well, we come home against the Bengals Week Two, four picks on on Joe Burrow. Uh, you know, and we win that one. It's like, okay, so are are we bouncing back, or you know, that you know that kind of thing? And then we lose to the Browns, and I can't even begin to tell you. Uh, you know, I, I should have been in a padded room uh, for that one. Just how crazy that get that game. It's. I mean, let's talk about that one real quick. I mean, what were you going through during that game, watching our our rookie quarterback, whom? We were all just head over heels waiting to find, you know, waiting to see this kid actually play. It's his first start after coming in on relief duty uh, week two where he didn't play poorly uh, against the Bengals. Had that one rookie moment for the pick six that made the game, made the score closer uh, than it actually was as far as the game itself was was played. But then week three, like, I don't think it could have gone any worse. Like, he netted one yard passing in that game. Yeah, it was weird because, you know, against the Bengals, he comes in and he's just thrown in the fire and, and made a couple plays here and there. And obviously the, the bad pick six, but you're like, okay, like he got, I got out of there without too much damage. Now you might not know whether Dalton is going to play the following game or not based on the injury, but at least you have a week to prepare for the possibility of Justin Fields making his first start against the Browns. And that's what made it so flabbergasting and frustrating that it just seemed like there was little little planning for Justin Fields. I mean, they just threw him in there. Like, we kept waiting for, like, you know, moving pockets. I mean, all the different things. That like, okay, now Justin Fields is in there. Here's what you need to do offensively. And they just never did any of them. And, of course, by then, Matt Nagy has kind of lost any benefit of the doubt as a offensive coordinator, play caller, head coach. So it wasn't like, oh, well, maybe he knows better than we do about Justin Fields or something. But clearly, it just – an insane level of incompetence to, oh, man. to not prepare for your the quarterback that you're hailing as the savior of your franchise that is there to save your job. Yeah. I mean, that's why you draft him is to keep your job and just no awareness and, and preparation for that. I mean, and, and just the, the, the level of incompetence, like you mentioned, four sacks in the, in the first half is just beaten pillar to post from beginning uh, to end. And you'd think, okay, so Miles Garrett and Jadavian Clowney are feasting on our tackles right now. Maybe we keep a tight end 
in or we keep both Graham and Komet in. Give at least give a chip, give him, you know, give Justin Fields an extra second, keep the back in, in in the backfield or anything like that. Nagy does none of that. No adjustments whatsoever in the second half to the tune of five more sacks in the second half for a grand total of nine. And he threw for 47 yards, but thanks to the 46 yards and sacks, the one net yard passing and a disastrous 26 to six loss that angered not only bear fans, but everybody else, because all that they, all that anyone could talk about on Monday after that game was, well, you can write off Justin Fields rookie season right now. Cause it's obviously Matt Nagy doesn't give a damn about this kid. And right away, too, it, it goes on Ryan Pace for the offensive line that he assembled and right. kind of said, we're going to have great competition at the offensive tackle positions and, you know, at a right guard. And we're going to be able to you know have the cream rise to the top there. And they're very confident in how that offensive line would do. And they weren't terrible for the first few games. And plenty of offensive lines struggle against Jadavon uh, Clowney and, and Miles Garrett. But still, it was just like every single thing about the team that day completely fell apart in a way that was just – Almost too easy to see coming, but you didn't want to think it was going to happen. Right. And then we bounce back the, uh, a week later. Nagy loses play, or not loses, but he gives play calling uh, back to Bill uh, Lazor. Uh, Justin Fields looks brilliant against the Lions. I mean, the, the accuracy on the deep balls, that one uh, sideline throw he makes to Allen Robinson, and, and, and all that. It's like just, he looks fantastic. We never see that again. Never see the you know where we're setting up to play action to take the deep shots. Never see it again, like for the rest of the season. But we pull off the win against the Lions. We go on the road and beat the Raiders, and that was the last bit of happiness we had as a fan base was that nice looking win on the road against the Raiders. Because after that, the Bears lose eight out of the next nine, and that one victory was a sliver of a victory against the O ten and one. Lions on Thanksgiving Day in a game that got so embarrassing at the end it was it was if I didn't have a podcast I, there's no way I watched the end of that football game it's just it was disgusting to watch that and that's the game that we won and that's after the late two minute drive comeback by Justin Fields against the Pittsburgh Steelers that right. they blew and then the Andy Dalton two minute comeback drive against the the Ravens. Yeah. Without Lamar Jackson, they, I mean, back-to-back games having clearly had a win in your hands and just needing a stop, and now, oh, your defense is also completely failing you in the exact same way. There's there's no hope left at that point. Yeah, I mean, when and you, you bring that up, um, I mean, it's just an instance of, like, the whole team was falling apart at that point. Week six against Green Bay, I really thought we had a growth moment. You know, it's it's 17-7. to 7. We're driving down the field. Justin Fields hands the ball off to Khalil Herbert, who runs it in for a really great-looking touchdown. Instead, but instead, Sam Mustafer's called for a holding penalty that brings it back. Now, in the past, a moment like that kills the drive. It's over with. We're lucky to get a field goal out of the deal. But I really thought the growth moment was that we actually came back. We drove it back down. The field. A few plays later, Justin Fields finds Darn Darna Mooney wide open in the end zone for a touchdown. It's seventeen to fourteen. There's like six and a half minutes to go in the game. We have all the momentum. All we need is a defensive stop. Get the ball back in Justin Fields' hands, and let's see what happens from here. Instead, Jalen Johnson, who had been doing a fantastic job against Devontae Adams, uh, gives up. 
what could have been a 40-yard uh, play but ends up being like a 60-yard uh, play that sets up the, the moment that uh, everyone was so happy that to have experienced with the I still own you moment from Aaron Rodgers uh, for the, on the touchdown run that put the game uh, away. I mean, talk about something that was not only was it difficult to accept or to deal with or whatever, but what made it worse was how it was clear that we as a fan, we as a franchise, like the players and the coaches were like, well, he's not wrong. Who cares? What do you mean it's okay? It's, it's like he's just taking it on the chin like, ah, well, that's what happens when you play Aaron Rodgers. He basically just rubs his dick on your face, and that's all there is to it. It's like, Jesus Christ, what the hell's wrong with you guys? Why is nobody angry about what happened? It's like, yeah, we lost. Yeah, he's 22-5 and five against, but that doesn't make what he did okay, and everybody seemed to be okay with it. It's like, yeah, we're done. We are done. Or later in the season when Tevin Jenkins gets angry after Justin Fields is hit. Oh, my God. And Jermaine Effetti comes over and tries to get him to stop and, and all that stuff. I mean, it's just so emblematic of this Bears team, specifically under under Matt Nagy. This was like basically the third straight year in a row of long midseason losing streak. And, oh. You know, 19 and 20 at least had like some kind of something at the end where you'd be like, oh, like they won some games there and, and turned some things around. And maybe next year they'll take that step forward. And it was like, fool me once, fool me twice. Okay, three times, three strikes, you're out, Matt Nagy. Yeah, four-game losing streak in 20, 2019, six games in 2025 in 2021. So, yeah, a little bit of a trend here. And, uh, you know, this is apparently from uh, from October to December, the guy can't coach worth a damn. So uh, I, here we are. Coach worth a damn in the other months too, but right. <laughs> doesn't turn out that way in the win loss. But somehow we, we we always managed to have this strong start, but it was the middle that was always killing uh, the Bears, especially in those last three uh, seasons. But it's like you know you have that 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 collapse against Green Bay, you have that amazing fourth and one touchdown run from Fields against the Forty ers that you know would have tied the game had we not missed the extra point. All we need is a stop, get the ball back, see what happens. Nope. Five plays, 75 yards later, Jimmy Garoppolo's running it in for the touchdown that puts it out of reach. We already mentioned the Steelers game, that amazing performance Fields had, you know, the throw to Mooney and to take the lead. All we need is a stop. Nope. Big Ben charges right down the field, kicks the game-winning field goal, and then, you know, the Ravens uh, game. Having two weeks to get ready for a game, no, uh, no Lamar Jackson, no Hollywood Brown, among others, there was a, there were a lot of holes in that roster that day. Not only did we hang, and also never mind the fact that, uh, by the way, Robert Quinn had three and a half sacks uh, in that game. That is widely glossed over because, you know, we still managed to find a way to lose this game against Tyler Huntley, who 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 found out that day that he was starting and still managed to play well enough to beat the Bears, and still managed to have an offense around him. Yeah, that's more suited to his. You know, inexperience in the way that the Bears couldn't do with Justin Fields having weeks and weeks and weeks to prepare. Although Fields, of course, hurt for that game. Yeah, yeah. Well, hurt in that game. Or yeah, yeah, in in that game. And then we we squeak out that victory by literally kicking a last second field goal against the Lions on Thanksgiving Day. That was uh, Matt Nagy's Super Bowl. That <laughs> the celebration after that one, man. So bad, so bad. You know, and it just, oof. Then we follow that up with a three-game losing streak to Arizona. The Sunday Nighter against Green Bay, which is one of the weirdest football games I've watched during the Matt Nagy era where we could absolutely dominate the first, you know, 25 minutes of the first half. You know, the the Shaquem Grant 97-yard punt return 
uh, that was just so awesome uh, to watch. Gives us a 24-14 lead. And once again, the defense pisses it down their leg, gives up that touchdown drive that makes it 24-21 to just before halftime, and we never really recovered from that. The Packers absolutely dominate the second half. We lose it 45-30. to And then don't even get me started on Monday night against Minnesota. I mean, it had that Tevin Jenkins uh, moment in there where you see the fire we've been looking for all season with him getting in the Vikings' face about, you know, knocking around Justin Fields and then Afidi reprimanding him for it. And then, you know, it, the score, the final score was 17-9, but it was actually 17-3 because for the second year in a row, the Bears manage a walk-off garbage touchdown that makes the game look closer than it was. The Matt Nagy special, as Amen. we call it. Yes. So then we go off to Seattle and play the only – and then we, we, we play the, the next two weeks, we play the only teams in the NFC worse than us in Seattle and New York and come away with a couple of victories there. And then the button on it all was, was the Minnesota Vikings game where I, it, it's the first time in a long time that I've ever seen the Bears quit on the coach. In the, like in the second half, you just saw that they were phoning it in. They're done. The season is over. Let's just – Bury the body already because the, 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 they're dead. You, did, you didn't even have the, like, hey, Justin Fields, give me one more good game at the end of the season here to give us some optimism in the offseason. You know, put one more really strong developmental tape game out there. Now it's like, oh, Andy Dalton, and then, you know, well, we're losing at halftime. Or not at halftime, but in the second half, you kind of blow that lead, and it's like, well, at that point, we can't come back from this one. And the, the best part of those last four weeks was the total screw you from Matt Nagy to Ryan Pace because Nagy didn't play any of Ryan Pace's guys, like went out of his way not to do it. Why would we start Tevin Jenkins at, at right tackle uh, against the Seattle Seahawks? I mean, this the season is over with at this point. We've just lost eight of our last nine football games. We're finally in a position we're playing a team we can actually beat. Why not put the, you know Tevin Jenkins out there? Uh, no, but we're playing the Seahawks. So not only is Jermaine Afidi going to start, he's going to be a goddamn captain uh, in this game. Him and Bruce Irvin are going to be captains for this game against the Seahawks because that makes all the sense in the world. Against their former team, you know? Got to yeah. show them out up there, I guess, because that'll, that'll be the secret. That's why they won. Yeah, and then the other embarrassment that was the Giants game, a game that we dominated 29-3, to but it's just like, holy hell, there's a lot of bad football being played here. Whole, I mean, and just the, the Giants could not have looked more incompetent than they did in that game, refusing to throw the football because one of two things was going to happen. Either we were going to sack Mike Glennon or Mike Glennon was going to throw an interception. Those were the two options to every pass play the Giants had for the majority of that game. So it was like, to hell with it. They had that one drive where they ran the ball 11 straight times that led to their only field goal of the game. It was like, boy, if I was a Giants fan, I'd be circling the drain right now. This is bad. Yeah, and somehow Saquon Barkley almost averaged five yards a carry despite having no other threats. Yeah, didn't he break 100 yards for the first time all season that game? I mean, that's how crazy it was. So, yeah. So, mercifully, the season ends. Nagy and Pace are gone. Uh, We we, we go through the exhaustive uh, search. And, uh, you know, but before we get to that, of course, Lauren, we we have our second straight embarrassing uh, press conference from hell. Uh, buttoned up by the uh, take Oli Krutz with a grain of salt line. God. <laughs> like you and I texting each other during that press conference. Like, did he actually just do that? Did he just 
do that. Yes, he did. He openly threw one of the more beloved players in franchise history under the bus in the middle of a press conference. What the hell is this guy's deal? Why would he do that? You know, two things here can be true at the same time. One, yes, what the hell is George McCaskey doing? You yes. don't you don't do that about Olin Cruz. And also, Olin getting fired from CHGO <laughs> kind of backs up McCaskey a little bit. A little bit. bit. Little you bit. still don't do that as the chairman of the team and him being a beloved former player. But, <laughs> you know, he George came out a little bit better than he originally looked on that one. Just a, a little tar- bit. He got a little bit of it back. Um, but it just it was like I was... I was floored. You were floored because just like, just like, did he just, did he just do that? Why and, did he just? That's how you answer that question. And was he on Zoom? Wasn't everybody on Zoom? Like it wasn't even like you know, just uh, uh, reporters in the room, and you're kind of like, yeah. I'm like, pretty sure everything was a or some kind of virtual video call where like he was by himself and had time to pause and think and like say anything but that. Yeah, and he was doing decently. At the time, you know, it wasn't anywhere near the disaster that it was after the 2020 season where they all tried to make us swallow the pill that was Pace and Nagy coming back for another season and their rationale behind it. I mean, it was just a disaster uh, of, the, of a press conference. And it's like, he's doing okay. We're not happy to hear that, you know, uh, what's Phillips is going to be part of the decision process and finding the general manager and the head coach. It was the last thing anybody, any of us wanted to hear, but not a complete surprise, um, and he's doing okay. That that's that was the worst of it, and then pulls off the Olin Krutz moment. It's like, okay, well, this is all anybody's going to be talking about here. This is like it, it'll be like the rest of it didn't happen because of this moment right here. You know, it was it was unbelievable. So, yeah, so after, <laughs> that's all you can say. Yeah, it's um, it was unbelievable. So after the after the search. A lot of names thrown around. I mean, he wasn't kidding when he said it was going to be exhausting uh, or exhaustive, I should say. Um, it I was, think, go ahead. It, no, it was it was exhausting and exhausting. Right, was, you're right. All the names coming in and out, and you know, some of them exciting, some of them like meh. Uh, you know, like well, you know, and some people you just don't know. It's like okay, well, he's he's with this or what you know comes from there, and some people taking their name out of consideration that probably weren't being considered anyway, like Ed Dobbs and from Indianapolis and and whatnot. Finally, we settle on Ryan Poles, uh, a well-thought-of uh, up-and-coming executive from the Chiefs uh, who had a good resume and everything. He comes in and gained credibility with me off the bat by by convincing McCaskey and company that I'm going to hire the head coach. It's like, you guys can – I'll take it from here and goes ahead and, and does that, and he brings in Matt Eberflus, defensive coordinator from the Indianapolis Colts. And it just so happened to be one of the candidates the, that the leadership team was also interested in. And right. One of, the, one of the primary recommendations of Bill Polian, which was another one of those like, you know, Bill, Bill's got a lot of experience, but you wonder, you, you get into a sort of like a like a, a Bill Polian bubble of only guys in, in his realm and only, you know, sort of like a, a bias there of just guys he likes. Are we, are we having a truly open and, and you know, thorough search. But regardless, you know, plenty to like about Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus coming into that. I don't know that Eberflus was the sexy, exciting hire, but I, I don't know if we were wanted a, a sexy, exciting hire. You know, I mean, we had that with, I mean, Mark Tressman and, and Matt Nagy in terms of like offensive guru guy. And so I, I think there was more of an appetite for, you know, and not specifically a defensive coach, but more so the the CEO type hands off yeah. head 
who's not even going to call the plays defensively, but just be the head of the organization and set that culture and that tone and that toughness and all that and, and delegate properly and seem to kind of know what his role is without trying to specifically micromanage even just one side of the ball and really make it like Matt Nagy's offense or Mark Tresman's offense. It's, it's, right, it is right. Matt Eberflus's defense, but it's like he's said all offseason, it's, it's Alan Williams' defense too. It's, it's everyone's defense. All the coaches have input on that, which, again, they're saying all the right things. Yeah. Just a matter of whether saying all the right things translates to doing all the right things. And that's what I was going to say next was that in, and with the hire of Eberflus, we began the, um, you know, the, them kind of um, seducing the fan base with the saying all the right things thing. With Luke Getze coming in, a highly touted quarterback coach from the Packers, first time play caller, though, because of course, um, uh, what's his name's calling plays up in uh, Green Bay. Ooh. So, um, you know, Mike, Mike LaFleur, Matt Matt LaFleur. Yeah. Mike's brother is with the Jets. Mike's his brother, right? With the Jets or something like that. So, um, but so Lou Getze, you know, has been uh, a key factor in putting together the game plans that have made the Packers so successful the last few years, highly respected quarterback coach, Aaron Rodgers, sad to see him go, that kind of thing. He's going to be our play caller. He comes out, says, we're going to be adaptable. You know, I don't come in with a particular scheme. We're going to design our offense around our guys, put them in the best positions to succeed, which, of course, is music to yours and my ears after four years of Matt Nagy being rigid with his system. And, you know, the system works. They just need to execute it and then going out there and looking as incompetent as possible each and every Sunday, win, lose, or draw. So, uh, you know, and then the whole thing about him not calling – Defensive play calling, I'm going to hand that off to Allen Williams. I'm going to be the CEO of the team and basically coach the coaches. And, you know, I'm going to coach the team, not just the defensive side of the ball. I'm going to give all my focus to the, you know, to the team, which, you know, which again sounds like all the great things, everything that we're looking for. And now we're nearing in the time where these guys get to put their money where their mouth is and, and see if they're going to hold true to that. Or were they just seducing us and, and making us think that they had the right, right idea in mind? Yeah, because it's tough because almost every offseason when, when there's a new coach brought in, they tend to say most of the right things, not right. always all of the right things and not always saying the same types of right things. But, I mean, we have heard Matt Nagy use the phrase put players in position, the best position to be successful before. And he clearly wasn't doing that and was too po- – because he thought his way yeah. was the best way to make – the players successful. So like in his mind, maybe he was putting players in what he thought was the best position to, to be successful. Whereas maybe there's more, a not an objective true best position, but at least a, a more, I don't know, a more fluid best position for success that we, we at least feel like we have a, a, some idea of what that might look like for Justin Fields and for David Montgomery and company that we can hold to that standard at least. Yeah. And, and, and I find, I found it interesting that after Matt Nagy was, fired uh and the story started to come out about his tenure and and what was actually happening behind the scenes how the um perception of uh mitch trubisky has kind of changed after hearing that um you know mitch mitch looked like he was trying to make the effort and and do the job and put himself in the best position to be successful but he shows up to matt Nagy's office to meet with him to talk about 2020 and Matt Nagy ghosts him, no shows, uh, and of course the season went the way it did uh, in 2020. It was eye-opening to hear some of those stories coming out after he was let go 
to hear how, you know, he never wanted Trubisky from the first place and was acting accordingly, especially when it was nearing Mitch's end with the Bears. Yeah, I'll be curious to see how Mitch does in Pittsburgh now. I, yeah. I, I tend to I tend to fall somewhere in the middle where, like, yes, Matt Nagy probably wasn't putting Mitch Trubisky in the best position to be successful. But I also don't know that that Mitch Trubisky is then now some hidden gem that just needs to be unleashed and will then be a great quarterback again or something that I, I think probably both things are true that Matt Nagy did a bad job with Mitch Trubisky and also that Mitch wasn't worth the second overall pick and isn't a truly great quarterback, but a quarterback that can get you to the playoffs and 12 wins and or yeah, 12 wins and, and get you to a field goal miss away from a second round playoff trip. Yeah. I think it was like, like you said at the start is like, there is a situation where both things can be true. You know, Mitch wasn't worth the second uh, number two overall pick. He wasn't going to be uh, one of those, uh, the quarterback that improves the stock of everyone around him kind of thing. But he probably would have been a better quarterback than he ended up being in Chicago because, you know, Matt Nagy really didn't appear to be putting the effort behind it that he deserved. So, all right, so let's move into the offseason now, the actual offseason. We've got our GM, we've got our head coach, and our GM – warned us we're not going to be big players in the first wave of free agency. We're going to be the ones that uh, make our mark in the second and third wave of free agency, and that sounded boring. And uh, But also at the same time, like I mentioned before, cover was pretty bare. You know, Ryan Pace didn't leave a whole lot behind as far as like something that the next regime could, uh, to, could work with. But Ryan Pace set the proper expectation because aside from the failed Larry Ogunjobi signing, we were not players in the first wave of uh, free agency, but we did make our mark in, in the second and third wave because the, the, the list of names that I have here are definitely not household name guys. I will say the expectations that Ryan Pohl set made the, the Larry Ogunjobi signing a surprise at first, yeah. at least for the, for the amount of money that that came through. Like, it wouldn't surprise me if they had signed some player early but just was a, a low-end free agent that knew he wasn't going to get big dollars, so might as well take the deal the Bears are offering. But, like, I didn't think there was a budget necessarily for a $13.5 million defensive tackle. And I, I look back on it and wonder, like, if they had invested that much money in Ogunjobi, what other holes would there still be on this roster? Because there wasn't this abundance of cap space to sign a bunch of players in a bunch of positions. And mm-hmm. wonder how that might have shaped the rest of this roster throughout had they had it on there. But instead, Ogunjobi falls through. And then, as you were saying, it was sort of not radio silence, but a little dull, a little bit delayed a little bit boring, you know, you get you get Pringle in there, and it's like, oh, okay, like, I've I've heard of him. You know, if you've ever played fantasy football, you know who Byron Pringle is. Like, sure, and that, an offensive lineman, okay, great. Like, we we need those. Probably when it more. came to offensive linemen, though, it, it became more about who we didn't sign than who we did. Yeah. You know, missing out on Ryan Bates, not getting the center from the Rams having to settle for Lucas Patrick and, you know, Teron Armstead. Were we even talking to him before he signed uh, with the Dolphins. When it came to the offensive line, it became more about who we didn't sign more so than the guys that we actually did. And so many of those free agents was sort of like settling. You know, they settle for Justin Jones when they don't get Ogunjobi. They settle for Lucas Patrick when they don't get Ryan Bates. You know, to some extent with Byron Pringle, there were reports that the Bears were going after Marquez Valdez-Scantling and I think a couple other wide receivers. I can't remember another name specifically, but there yeah. were all these rumors of like, Bears interested maybe in some of these receivers, and I mean, maybe Pringle wasn't 
truly settling the same way that that Jones and Patrick seemed to be more directly settling. But it just felt like at a lot of positions like that, they didn't specifically get get bigger named perhaps better players that they were going after and said, ah, you know, we'll, we'll take this as the consolation prize. And it feels like now, at least not including the draft picks, a, a free agent class of a lot of new additions that are consolation prizes. So we'll talk about the, the other names that we signed here in a second. Let's first dive into the guys that are gone now. So, excuse me. So obviously the marquee move as far as subtractions was the Khalil Mack trade. Just before free agency gets started, Khalil Mack is traded to the Chargers. And I was I was shocked when that actually, I was like, we actually did trade Khalil Mack. Jesus Christ. Because I was really looking forward to 2022 when you had a healthy Khalil Mack and a healthy Robert Quinn on the field at the same time. A, after the way they played when they did play together for the first six or seven games, and, you know, the potential of what that could look like, especially with the year that Robert Quinn had without Khalil Mack uh, last year. So, But instead, he's traded off to the Chargers. Uh, we get a second-round pick, and we flipped the sixth-rounder for two-sevenths in 2022. Uh, so we got, you know, three players out of the deal for uh, Khalil Mack. We'll see how that, that turns out in the end. But, you know, we, 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 we you know, cast off his is, you know, 20 plus million dollar salary and we bring in some younger cheaper uh talent with those draft picks. It was definitely a surprise at the time. I mean, yeah. we had heard murmurings of it, but it always felt like, well, that's that's not going to happen. Like why would they why would they trade Khalil Mack, right? Like this. I mean, it would be it's a possibility, but it didn't seem like a, a likelihood in any way. And to some extent Robert Quinn felt similarly like, yeah, I mean, they could, but probably not going to happen and Mack is the one that does it. And the second round pick price tag soured it for so many people i think mm -hmm. when it, because of how much he gave up to get him in the first place but right. realistically i think as we saw off-season trades and stuff with all the wide receivers getting big trade price tags that threw off the balance a little bit too but you know you're trading that contract and his age and it makes it not the same equation exactly as some of the other players that were traded so like yeah that second round pick proved to be important and valuable and Maybe not directly as valuable as Khalil Mack would be this season, but over the long term, Mack isn't going to be – it wouldn't have been a long-term part of this plan. It was only a matter of time before eventually he would have to go out, whether it's a year from now or or, or what. So might as well if – you're, if you're already going to go a little consolation prize on the rest of the roster and realize that there's going to be some massive turnover – you might as well bite the bullet a little bit on that one and, and take your lumps now and, and enjoy the prosperity later. Yeah, I, I, I was on vacation that week, and um, I remember posting a tweet uh, at the end of or mid, middle of that week that uh, one of those um, memes where it's like, you know, me, then, then, you know, I say this and then you say that kind of thing. And it was like me in my mind. No, Larry, it's it's the week before free agency. You don't need to take your podcasting stuff with you on vacation. Um, you know, everything won't, you know, it won't get exciting until you get back and free agency starts. And then it's like Bears, cut, you know, trade Khalil Mack, cut Tariq Cohen, cut Danny Trevathan. I'm like, God damn it. And all of this happened while I was on vacation and didn't have the tools to do something about it as far as posting <laughs> a show uh, or anything like that. Of course, you know, they – they cut three of our most important players, trade another one away, you know, like, yeah, but, but yeah, you got all your podcast stuff is 200 miles away in your apartment instead of, you know, at home uh, with your family. So you could take a minute to, to post a show or a reaction to the Bears trading what was supposed to be a generational talent uh, in Khalil Mack. So, 
uh, yeah, that was a frustrating week for me. So if there's one thing we know this offseason, Ryan Poles does not care what anybody else thinks outside the organization, including us. Right, right. So, so yeah, the free agent losses list is a who's who of football players for the Matt Nagy era. Uh, number one of which being Allen Robinson, who uh, signed with the Rams. I remember you and I having a healthy debate about what Allen Robinson was worth and what he wasn't. Uh, and even hitting the free agent market, still didn't get that 20 mil. He got three years, 45 mil from the Rams. So he's, he got a little bit of a raise as far as like his first contract with the Bears, but he was basically stealing money on the franchise tag last year, whether that was by design from, from Nagy or their just gross incompetence to give him 18 million guaranteed and just to cut him out of the offense. Um, but he's gone and he's happy not to be, you know, in Chicago anymore. James Daniels is off to Pittsburgh. Uh, Jakeem Grant, who we, you know, borrowed from the, from the Dolphins for a little while, is now with the Cleveland Browns. Bilal Nichols in Vegas with the Raiders. Uh, the most, one of the most recent uh, developments, Akeem Hicks joining Tom Brady in Tampa Bay. Nick Foles was cut, and he's in Indianapolis being reunited with Frank Reich. Uh, Pat O'Donnell, the rat bastard, signs with the Packers. Uh, Andy Dalton is, uh, you know, stealing money in New Orleans. Uh, Artie Burns, who stole money for us for two years, uh, blew out the ACL in 2020 and was barely on the team last year, is in Seattle now. Damian Williams. Well, here's what's fun. Damian Williams, Marquise, no, excuse me, David, Damian Williams, Demir Bird, Eddie Goldman, Tease Tabord, and others joining uh, Ryan Pace in Atlanta after he uh, what what is he in Atlanta do you even know he's like assistant GM or like you know assistant director to the GM he's like second or third in charge there right so but he brings all of his cast offs and, and I think even he got Jermaine Afidi if as well if I'm not mistaken yes. but they're all going down there uh to Atlanta uh Ryan Null is in Dallas and Jesper Horstead that was the one I actually was upset about that I was really looking forward to seeing what Jesper Horstead could do with what appeared to be, you know, competent play callers who might actually use him and his talent, uh, aside from his two catches for two touchdowns last year, uh, you know, in 2021, because he was on the field for like eight plays when it was all said and done uh, last year. But instead, not only did they cut him, but they cut him twice in the offseason. He's now in Las Vegas with the Raiders. And and to to be clear with Ryan Pace, he's a senior personnel executive, so he doesn't have like a, a one of those like formal titles like assistant GM or vice president of whatever. He's just they haven't really given him publicly a title specifically. But yeah, I was really surprised to see Jesper Horstead go too, like by by choice by the Bears. Like yeah. was, he was costing them a lot of money. Like they just clearly didn't value him or his roster spot. They just kind of said, yeah, you know, we'd rather have a different player there. I mean, they, there was no need or savings gained really from releasing him as opposed to any other player just to clear up like a roster spot for him, I guess. And, you know, they wanted to give him, I would assume then an opportunity to latch on somewhere else as opposed to saying like, oh, we'll hold on to you, but we don't believe in you. So we'll just keep you away from other teams. I mean, maybe it just gives him that better opportunity, but I don't know. It just seemed like with a lot of these free agents that they let go, so much of it seemed to be a little bit more, by choice. I mean, obviously, yeah. Akeem Hicks was one thing, but like 
we knew the, there were financial limitations, but the contracts that like Allen Robinson, James Daniels, Blum Nichols signed with other teams, they had bigger numbers on them. But all those teams, you know, finagled the cap numbers so that none of them are costing more than four or five million dollars this season. Like the Bears yeah. could have fit Allen Robinson's first year of his contract in their salary cap this season. He got his salary cap hit for the Rams is pretty darn close to what the Bears will be paying Byron Pringle this season. So I would imagine that. Maybe Robinson just didn't want to come back to the Bears at that price, or yeah. or the Bears just didn't want to sign him because again, that's would you rather have Byron Pringle or Allen Robinson right now? I think as much as Robinson struggled last season, I think we would feel better about his spot on this roster than than Pringle's at this point. So it's like, well, then maybe that's more of a choice. And James Daniels is costing the Steelers four point one million dollars this year. The Bears could have afforded that. They could have afforded Bilal Nichols at four point three million this year. Like. Those those were not totally outside of their price range the way that some of the other big-name free agents would have been. So then how much of that was the Bears just saying, you know what, we don't want James Daniels. We don't want Bilal Nichols. Or how much was it that was it Rowan Robinson saying, no, I don't want to go to Chicago. I'll take whatever I can get somewhere else. Yeah, I was more surprised that we let Bilal's Nichols go than I was James Daniel, especially when, when stories started to emerge that um, – Ryan Poles was not a fan of what we put on the field as an offensive line last year. Now, this is a former offensive line, a former offensive lineman uh, himself, as is his assistant uh, general manager. And the two of them both put pretty decent offensive lines together in their former uh, places. So they know what they're looking for with offensive linemen. So as much as it sucked to watch James Daniels go, it wasn't exactly a surprise after. Uh, you know, Ryan's Ryan Poles evaluation of our offensive line in, in 2021 started to come out. Yeah, I, I, I definitely see what you mean there. And I guess maybe then with Bilal Nichols, maybe the, they wondered if scheme fit in, in the 4-3. Sure. If yeah, yeah. That's natural place. He was playing nose tackle for Eddie Goldman, but that's not really his natural spot. But he's, he's not exactly the three technique either. I mean, he can he can do both, but he's not like ideally suited i mean he's that three four defensive end five technique spot more purely and you know we'll we'll just sort of see the, the raiders certainly are willing to, to take a look at him in, in those different roles so we'll we'll see how it plays out there and whether ryan poles was right there or maybe but maybe nichols just didn't want to be here i don't know so let's talk about the guys that we did sign uh we we missed on the the on larry Ogunjobi. not so much missed on him but um you know he had a foot injury that sidelined him for the Bengals uh last year um, was not as far along in the rehab process as the Bears would have liked. Uh, he fails his physical literally as he's coming to sign his contract. And, you know, Ryan Poles had to have a tough conversation with God bless him for, for doing it. Actually got in the car with the guy face-to-face and told him, we're not going to be signing you today. Um, you know, the, the physical was failed. We, you know, we can't, you know, don't like the medical and what have you. So, um, you know. Imagine what, like, that's like the conversation when, like, your girlfriend says, we need to talk. Yeah. You know, how does Ryan Poles get him into the car? Right. You know what I mean? What's, what is the conversation before the conversation? Like, hey, Larry, can you show, can you show me your car? Like, what, what do you, how do you get him into the car to have that? Or it's, it's one of those things where he's coming to, f- to the facility to sign his contract. And like, you know what? I'm going to squeeze in here real quick before you get out. Let's you have, a, let's have a talk. Yeah. Let's have a talk. Go ahead and slide over a little bit. I need to talk to you for a second. It's just that'd be two big dudes in that car. Like <laughs> yeah. it's, it's like the Anthony Adams big guys in tiny cars. Yeah, 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 yeah. There you go. That's what it's like in there. Except it's a much more difficult, awkward conversation. Yes, absolutely. It's like you know that thirteen and a half million that was going to change your life. Yeah, we're not going to give it to you. Sorry, bud. So he ends up steal- signing with the Steelers not too long ago, like last week or the week before. Actually, he finally 
uh, signed. He's going to be with. He's going to be joining Mitch out there in Pittsburgh. So uh, we'll see how that goes. And uh, James and James Daniels. Yeah, Anthony right. Miller too. Actually, is he still with them? <laughs> According to the internet, he was, a, he was a practice squad guy. I know because uh, after the Bears let him go, uh, he didn't make it in Houston and. I think he bounced around like one or two other places before landing on the practice squad in Pittsburgh. Is he still with them? Yeah, I think they gave him one of those off-season like futures. futures contracts. Yeah. Okay. So he's All got right. one more shot. We'll see how. I mean, I wish him the best, man. But man, one of the most schizophrenic players we have had like ever <laughs> in in my lifetime. Like he could be absolutely brilliant one week and then the absolute definition of incompetence the week after. It's like, what is this guy's deal, man? So Seven touchdowns as a rookie. Yeah. Man. Led the team. Yeah. Led the team. It was like, dude, this guy's going to be fantastic. Nope. Sorry. Whoops. He's just going to show you that in flashes and make you so frustrated with him. You won't be able to see straight, but you know, whatever. So, so after failing with the, with the Ogan Joby signing, Justin Jones is the defensive tackle that we bring in to be our three tech, or at least it's uh, him or, um, Angelo Blackson, one of the two. Uh, maybe both. Who knows? But uh, Al-Kadim uh, Muhammad, defensive end from Indianapolis, follows Iberflus over. Lucas Patrick uh, coming in from uh, Green Bay to be our new center. Uh, we mentioned Byron Pringle. Uh, the other wide receivers we brought in, uh, Tajay Sharp, Dante Pettis, also cast-offs from other teams. Same thing with Equinemia St. Brown uh, coming in from Green Bay uh, as well. So you add those guys to Valus Jones, who we'll talk about a little bit here uh, when we get to the draft, and um, Darnell Mooney, of course. That's our wide receiver room. Like We still have Daz Newsom, but who knows how long he's going to survive with him being the former regime's uh, draft choice who never saw the field last year. So, But it's, it's definitely an eclectic group of uh, guys with a lot to prove. And now Nikhil Harry in there as well. Right, the trade from yesterday. We, we traded for... Former first round pick Nikhil Harry from the uh, from the Patriots, and I'm not so much thinking that it's, it's it's like I think it's brilliant, but not so much in like man we got Nikhil Harry. It's just like, well, we got this guy who had all the potential in the world coming into it. Things did not work out in New England, and it was a low risk, possibly high reward return. If Nikhil Harry is even a shred of the guy that he was in college to make him a first round pick for us. Man, I think Nikhil being more of that like contested catch possession type receiver, the Bears don't have much of that. You know, yeah. me and Pringle and Bayless Jones are all speed guys, and even Economia St. Brown, like he's he's big and long, but he's more of a you know vertical stretch the defense that way type of receiver. And the problem with Harry is that he, he can't separate. That's why he makes so many contested catches. Mm-hmm. But like he still can be that. There's like you can see a role for that. He's not going to be like your every down starter necessarily. Right. But, you know, in the red zone, he's a good run blocker too. Like he, he could, he could be that you know number four rotating in there with those guys and, and be well worth a twenty twenty four seventh round pick. Yeah, and he's also out of a place that he's been wanting to get out of for the last two seasons. So he's highly motivated. He knows that he's not uh, the future of the Bears or by any stretch of the imagination. We're not bringing him in to be Allen Robinson, but we're bringing him in, like you said, to play a role. If he plays it well, we'll probably, you know, give you some more money and let you hang around. Otherwise, a seventh rounder in 2024 is is all it took for us to separate you from the team that picked you in the first round uh, from college. So it's not a really big loss if it doesn't work out 
uh, for the Bears. So uh, I, I like the move. Uh, it seems um, like the strategy there at wide receiver is just like you got Darnell Mooney and then you hope like two of the rest of those – out of the rest of those guys that two of them elevate the level of play. Between <laughs> Pringle, Bayless Jones, Economia St. Brown, Nikhil Harry, Dante Pettis, Tajay Sharp, David Moore, you got like – I wasn't counting there, but like five or five or six guys there behind Darnell Mooney, and if you can get two of them to play okay this season, you'll be all right. And that's, yeah, you might have something there. You just you're not might. for a, a huge hit, right? You don't need a hundred percent there, but just right. you know what? Two out of five is what like forty percent, or two out of six would be six. You know, would thirty percent, thirty percent. So like, yeah. that's not unreasonable. Right. I, I mean, I would expect two of those guys to be Pro Bowlers or anything, but right. maybe you right. can have something there rotating together. Absolutely. So. Uh, and then um, after, you know, with, with Andy Dalton only being on a one-year deal and Nick Foles being uh, released, Trevor Simeon is going to be the new uh, backup quarterback uh, for us. Uh, we bring in Nicholas Morrow, a linebacker from Las Vegas, who, do we know what role he's going to play? I mean, he's is he going to be the weak side guy? Is Roquan going to be the middle? I mean, has there been any indication whatsoever how that's going to go down? So far, the indication has been Nick Morrow at middle linebacker, Roquan Smith at weak side linebacker. Okay. But the Bears have said they want both to know both positions sure, 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 and, sure. and trying to make them a little bit more interchangeable. But, you know, only so much of that can be interchangeable. And let me not let you forget the backup quarterback competition with Nathan Peterman oh, behind Jesus Trevor Simeon. I forgot about Nathan Peterman. <laughs> what are we doing there? Oh, my God. I just like, like – Of all quarterbacks, you could use your third quarterback spot. Give me anybody from the XFL. You know what I mean? <laughs> we know what Nathan Peterman is. We don't know what – You know, There's so many other quarterbacks that just are unknowns, and maybe they're terrible. Maybe they're not. But we know Nathan Peterman is terrible, so why – yeah. Why? <laughs> Why? Yeah. I, I. I. I was. I was like, dude. We. We did that. We actually brought that guy in. That's. Whew. I hope we don't have to rely on him at any point this year. That would be awful. That would be awful. So, um. Then we bring in Ryan Griffin, tight end from the Jets. We re-signed DeAndre Houston, Carson. Actually, one of the few guys that got to keep his job from one regime to the next. Uh, Tavon Young, a corner from Baltimore. Matthew Adams, our gun-wielding new linebacker from Indianapolis. Uh, another tight end, James O'Shaughnessy. He's a Chicago-area guy. Went to Illinois State before going off to Jacksonville. Uh, let's see. We, 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 we did bring in a couple of offensive linemen, Dakota Dozier. Uh, who, is he done for the year? Because apparently that injury wasn't pretty. Yeah, I, I think they officially like waived slash injured him. You know, They put him on that list of like basically off-season IR of yeah. like, we're cutting you because you're injured, so we'll still pay you, but you're you're gone. Right. Uh, Julian Davenport being the other offensive lineman that we signed after missing out on Teron Armstead, Ryan Bates. Uh, what was the, the the center's name for the um, Rams? Brian oh, something? Uh, not Austin Blythe. No, no, no. Uh, yeah, other one. Like, wasn't like Byron, Brian Allen or something like that? That sounds... Yeah, that Brian That sounds Allen. about right. Yeah. Yep, that's him. So... Yeah, he signed for eight million per with the uh, with the Rams to stay in the Rams, which is not the most outrageous thing. We finally have a fullback on the roster, like an actual real deal fullback is been signed to the team. Kari Blazengame from uh, Tennessee, and uh, also from Tennessee, Dane Crookshank is a known as like the tight end whisperer. Is that his nickname or something like the slot receiver whisperer or something? Like that, so maybe he's going to come in and play the nickel for us because we didn't have one of those last year. But uh, 
We'll see how all that goes. But it's like those are the names that have been brought in, or most of them anyway. And, you know, like I said, maybe you've heard of Dante Pettis before. You Obviously, we as Bear fans know who Equinemia St. Brown is because he was with the Packers. Um, but it's like, you know, obviously Trevor Simeon made some headlines bouncing around the league. He's starting in Denver. He's doing this. He's over there uh, kind of thing. But it was just like everybody else is like, wait, who is this? Like, where's he from? You know, it's like he's obviously he's been in the league for five years, but like, oh, has he? It's like, this is the first I'm ever hearing of him. 2022 Chicago Bears, ladies and gentlemen. And that, that's been such a source of criticism this offseason of the Bears. It's like, oh, wow, like how poorly they've built around Justin Fields. And yeah. Those nonsense arguments about, oh, do they have faith in Justin Fields because of how they've built around him? But but the thing that struck me about that that, that is always missing from that criticism is like, what were they supposed to do instead? You know, like, <laughs> everyone's like, oh, well, they should have, they should have signed better wide receivers and offensive linemen with what salary cap space? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they, they, they now have salary cap space because of the June 1st designation, but prior to June 1st, they did not have money for free agents. They had to sign, you know, bargain bin type guys at all these positions just to fill as many holes as they did. And they still went in the NFL draft with a huge hole at cornerback and a huge hole at safety and still holes on the offensive line at wide receiver that like they couldn't even fill all of them with the draft too. So it was just like, there was never a path to building around Justin Fields in a way that was really going to satisfy this criticism because of how poorly they had been built before Ryan Poles and then also financially that the amount of money that Ryan Pace kept pushing off into the future that needed to get paid. There, there just was never room to invest all this money in on free agent space and even draft pick space, your draft picks, because you didn't have draft picks to build around fields. So there's just like that's the part that's always missing. It's like, oh, they did a terrible job. But what should they have done instead? I've not heard that that good suggestion of like, oh, here's how they could have somehow magically found a way to do this. But that was like what you said was immediately my first thought every time that I saw that pop up someplace was, you know, the not having faith in fields because look what they did or look what they didn't do to build around him. I was like, what were we supposed to use what, like, to do it? With, like, what were we supposed to do with that? You know, 28, 29 million in, in cap space to re-sign two thirds of our roster because. Most of the team was on a one-year deal last year going into the, into the season. It's so like, how the hell are we supposed to bring all these guys back with no money? I mean, are we the Rams that are going to just keep kicking the can down the road? I mean, they just gave Aaron Donald all that money. They're going to be paying him to, like, Bobby Bonilla to, like, 2050 to get it under the cap, even though they're paying him $35 million a season. They're somehow finagling the, you know, the cap to be able to fit him and, like, eight other dudes making 20-something million dollars under the cap. Uh, over there it's like you know and we also had five picks going into the draft that you know as we move on to that right now somehow he turned those five picks into 11 you know because the Khalil Mack trade gave us six and then he turned those six picks into um into 11 draft choices actually he turned three picks from day three that's what we had because we had our two second rounders and a third rounder in day two so we had three picks left he turned those three picks into eight picks in day three with finagling trades here and there and all that kind of stuff. What was originally going to be a five-player draft class is now an 11-player draft class. So he, did, he definitely did some work and, and you know, worked the phones to, uh, to, to sprinkle some magic dust on it and, and you know, make it bigger than it was. But will these guys work out is going to be the real question. So 
let's let's talk about draft night. So first, the the thing that was kind of blowing my mind about night one um, was the fact that uh, somebody apparently forgot to tell Quasi Adolfo Mensa you're not supposed to trade with your in division rivals. Uh, you know, trading trading back from twelve to thirty two with the Lions so they could get, uh, you know, uh, Jameis Williams uh, from the uh, or Jameson Williams from the from Alabama. I was like, oh, so this guy that could potentially hurt us twice a year for the next decade? Yeah, you can have him. You know, we'll just uh, go ahead and take the picks, and then the cherry on top being that the top of night two, they trade back with the Packers, who then draft Christian Watson. Uh, who's got probably the biggest boomer bust potential in the entire draft. But if he meets, if he gets anywhere close to the, the boom, uh, then it's just like, okay, well let's find Quasi Adolfo and hang him off of the edge of a building. Cause what is this guy doing helping the other teams in his division? I thought you were going to point out the Packers not using not one, but two first round picks not at the wide receiver position. Yeah. That was really fun to watch. That was fun. Like, knowing a lot of Packer fans that were just furious, <laughs> pulling their hair up, like, who the hell is Quay Walker, and then who the hell is Devonta Wyatt, and why aren't they wide receivers, was, was, so, was so much fun. Like, yeah, they got Christian Watson around too, but we can at least continue sort of the the meme of Aaron Rodgers doesn't get first-round wide receivers, and now the Bears have a first-round wide receiver in Nikhil Harry that Aaron Rodgers does not have. hi But, I mean, it was... All I wanted out of the first round of the draft, and I'll be honest with you, and it did end up working out for us, was I did not want Green Bay drafting Chris Olave. That was, like, especially with their two first-round picks, they could have used those to package him and move up to go and uh, get him. But uh, God bless the Saints. They made a deal with Washington and moved up to 11 to take him off the board. Because the last thing I wanted was Justin Fields' favorite college target kicking our ass twice a year for the next 10 years. That was the last thing in the world I wanted to see. And uh, thankfully, it's not going to uh, happen. So I was I was very pleased uh, with that. But we finally get to night two. The Bears finally are on the board at 39. Uh, there's some interesting wide receiver prospects, maybe a couple of offensive linemen to come off the board. But instead, it's Kyler Gordon, the corner out of Washington, is our is our top pick and the first draft choice of the Ryan Poles regime. And one that they seem to pretty genuinely have at the top of their board, at the top of the list. Like, yeah. they, we say that after the draft, but, you know, when they show the the video from draft night, when, you know, the, the, uh, highly edited to protect everything that they want to protect, but still showing them, like, Kyler's our guy. If he's there, we're taking him, and really, like, genuinely having the evidence to back that up, I think can leave you sitting and feeling more confident in that pick. And the same was true for Jaquan Brisker by the same standards of, like, yeah, they were legitimately excited about both of those guys and had those guys at the top of their list. It wasn't just like, oh, you know, we'll get here and see who's there. But it was like, no, they they had been clearly keying in on Gordon and then also uh, Brisker even leading up to draft night. It's not just like – I feel like it's rare for that to happen in, in the second round, that early even mm-hmm. in the second round. Like, they, yes, they knew where they would be drafting and that they wouldn't have a shot at the first-round guys – but still, like it, it lined up in a way that even they kind of admitted they didn't even think would happen. Well, yeah, I, I do remember that they got that moment on camera between Poles and, and his assistant GM, Ian Cunningham, where it's like, can you believe this? Like, we mocked this a thousand times, and this guy never landed in our lap once here at 39. Or maybe it happened one time out of the you know dozens of mock drafts that they had, and here he is. He wasn't supposed to be, and here he is, and we got our guy, so... 
uh, he and Cunningham were thrilled that uh, he was still sitting there at uh, at 39, and they go ahead and they take him. Uh, and apparently he got lost trying to find the stage at the draft, which was uh, interesting uh, to watch. But then, uh, you know, almost 10, 10 uh, picks later uh, at 48, uh, Jaquan Brisker, the, the safety from Penn State, comes off the board, which led Olin Krutz, who was doing the draft live for the CHGO when he still had that gig, to walk off the stage because none of those first two picks was an offensive lineman for Justin Fields. Yeah, and there were still not only an offensive lineman on the board, which none went in between Kyler Gordon. Actually, none went in the first round before the Jaquan Brisker pick. Mm -hmm. But then also two wide receivers had come off the board, but George Pickens was still sitting there and Alec Pierce of Cincinnati and Sky Moore. Like, there were still wide receivers there, and, and you felt some of that same, like, oh, Packers fans were mad in the first round that they didn't get a wide receiver, and now Bears fans are mad in the second round that, that they didn't get a wide receiver. But like we kind of talked about a little bit with all the roster turnover, again, these two guys being very clearly, definitively Ryan Poles' top guys, mm -hmm. we will again see how good of an evaluator he is. That, that he, this is. He really put his stamp on this guy to say, yep, these are our top guys. We didn't just have to pick from the pack and say, well, this is what's left. Let's get the best thing we can of what's left. It's like, no, these two were the ones they identified as difference makers for their team. And he even said, like, if we passed on these defensive backs just to reach for a wide receiver and offensive line, we might have missed out on an even better player. So he's very clearly like putting it on the table and saying, no, we think Brisker and, and Gordon will be vastly superior or at least significantly superior to the likes of George Pickens and Alec Pierce and some of the offensive linemen like Gadecki and, and Cam Jurgens and Ed Ingram and some of the other guys that went in those spots because he thinks these two guys will be that big of a difference maker. And, and we'll get to see it and we'll get to see his – talent evaluation front and center on those two players yeah and if these guys work out they fill two holes that have been you know wide open uh the, the last couple of uh seasons you know Jalen Johnson he's been solid for us um you know in his uh in his short tenure uh in Chicago we're hoping for the rebirth of Eddie Jackson I'm I am really looking forward to what Eddie Jackson's going to do in this new defense because it sounds like they are going to put him in a spot to be Eddie Jackson again, as opposed to whatever it is we've been doing since Vic Fangio left. And I'm, I'm excited to see if, if we can get Eddie Jackson back or if this will be the beginning of the end uh, for him. But because Jaquan Brisker is going to be Adrian Amos, essentially. He's going to be that hitter that's playing closer to the box and, uh, and everything. And that's when Eddie Jackson was at his best in those two seasons that he played with, uh, with Adrian Amos. So hopefully Brisker can be, uh, you know, Adrian Amos 2.0 and, 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 and turn Eddie Jackson loose and really make this uh, secondary uh, special. And then Kyler Gordon being the, uh, the guy on the other side uh, of Jalen Johnson. If that works out, we've made our secondary whole and we've really got something here. My concern is, is not so much like, scheme and stuff because yeah absolutely they've, they've put much better pieces in the secondary around eddie jackson now which has been really missing largely since like adrian amos left and kyle fuller kind of fell off a little bit and, and well was cut for salary reasons and a uh, prince mukamara then there's been huge secondary turnover around eddie jackson right and you've got probably the best supporting cast there that we've seen and and a scheme that should presumably let him play deep halves of the field where he's comfortable but now you have what's looking to be the worst pass rush eddie jackson has had <laughs> 
Like in 2018, he was so good because they were just dominating the pass rush up front and getting home with four consistently and letting Eddie Jackson get after the quarterback. But like, if you trade Robert Quinn as is almost expected at this point, then right. your your career sack leader is Travis Gibson with seven. I think Alkadeen Muhammad had six last year. Justin Jones had three. So like, you don't have consistent proven pass rushers. Not that that means they're guaranteed to not be good, but just that you're really going to be missing something up front. And then all of a sudden. Are we in a spot where we can't evaluate Eddie Jackson properly because the pass rush isn't consistent enough, and so they're being asked to cover for five seconds and can't consistently do that? And then it's not really Eddie's fault, so then do we know if he's any good, but we're paying him $17 million? It's like, man, are we going to be left with those questions still unanswered, much like the field's concerned because the supporting cast around him isn't good enough to really get those answers? Right. (sighs) What will be will be, my friend. So... We move on to the third round, and the Bears are still sitting there. Uh, I think what what was more surprising than the picks the Bears made was the fact that we didn't move. There was no trading back to get more picks with those top picks anyway. We stayed firm in those first two choices in the second round, took uh, took our guys, added to our, our secondary, as opposed to everyone absolutely could have put money on it that the fact the Bears – with one of those first two second-round picks was going to move back uh, in the draft, was going to acquire uh, this, or God forbid even use those two picks to get into the back end of this, the first round to get somebody that we absolutely had to have. So nobody was thinking that Ryan Poles was going to just sit there and, and wait for the draft to come to him with those top picks because that was the best ammunition that we had to make something happen. Whether we're using 39, maybe we drop back into the 50s, but we've got an extra third, we've got maybe another fourth rounder, that kind of thing to, to go along uh, with it, instead, Pace does or Pace. My, my my apologies. Ryan Poles does nothing and makes those first picks, and then does the same at seventy one when we take Valus Jones, uh, the oldest rookie in the NFL. <laughs> yeah, I, with the trade down, I wonder like when you look at how the second round played out. If he had traded down very far at all, he would have missed out on you know all those wide receivers. Four of them went in the next six picks right. after Juan Brisker. So then. You know, he could have taken an offensive lineman after trading down, but then you still end up with Bayless Jones at 71 as the next receiver that goes off the board after Sky Moore at 54. Like, there was a big drought, and the Bears take immediately the next wide receiver after that group. So it wasn't like he could trade down and still land one of those wide receivers. So then you could trade down and get an offensive lineman and, and get some extra picks and, you know, recoup things that way. But, it, you know, he seemed to read perhaps how that wide receiver core might play out from that point in the draft. But then, you know, Bayless Jones still is a, a decent consolation prize at receiver you know very clearly i think in that next tier of guys the league didn't really go after receivers much from that point but get a guy that they feel like has some versatility and kind of say at this point like screw the age because all these players had a covid year so all the players are about a year older than they might normally be in the end not all but most of them so take take the guy that has some real game-changing ability or flashes of game-changing ability and see if you can get more of that in in a rotation with all these other guys at wide receiver and it also seems like they actually drafted him to use him because all I'm hearing from, from the mini camps and, and, and the OTAs and stuff is that uh, Bayless Jones is being thrown into the fire. Like they're actually expecting something from him, uh, at least in this first year. I mean, he's already 25, or at least he will be when training camp uh, or the season starts, one of the two. And, uh, you know, so he doesn't have a lot of time to kind of work his way into it. He's not a 21-year-old uh, rookie. You know, he's a... 
Uh, you know, like Allen Robinson just signed his third contract in the NFL. He's only like 27 or something like that. He's only a couple years older than this guy, and he's just now making it into the NFL. Don't have a lot of time to wait for him to develop. He's got to have an impact now. Yeah, and I think it it bodes well for at least getting some more this season at receiver. If you'd felt like he was just going to be a developmental guy there that wasn't going to contribute, you'd have you'd feel even worse about the different things that you have there. And you wonder if like. You know, had you gone offensive line instead, if you, if you wouldn't be thinking some of the same thing of like, well, you already have Tevin Jenkins and Larry Borum as second year players, but still younger players that didn't play a ton as rookies that need development anyway. So if you'd taken like Bernard Ryman from Central Michigan there or whoever, like it's 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 a similar conversation of like, well, do you need another developmental type player there? And at least at wide receiver, you feel like he can make that contribution while growing along the way. So then it's nearly a hundred picks before the Bears make another choice. Uh, because we gave up our fourth rounder in the Justin Fields trade with the Giants, so no fourth rounder there. And then when it came time for the Bears to actually make their pick, their first pick in the fifth round, uh, now Ryan Pohl starts trading back and trading back and trading back and trading back. So what was supposed to be our first pick, I think at like 150, we didn't take it until 168, when we finally take Braxton Jones, an offensive tackle from Southern Utah, uh, off the board. Um, and the, day three can basically be described as t- in two things, in my opinion. Number one, uh, a, a lot of developmental guys. And number two, the scouting department earning its money. Because all of these guys from smaller schools, places you've never you know, th- thought of, been to, you know, what have you, Byron Braxton Jones out of Southern Utah, Dominique Robinson, uh, a pass rusher out of uh, Miami of Ohio, Zachary Thomas, an offensive tackle, San Diego State, Treston Ebner, bigger school, Baylor, six-rounder, running back. Thought we were okay at running back, but hey, we're going to bring this kid in and see what he does. Doug Kramer, center out of Illinois, uh, Jatir Carter, a guard out of Southern, a really small school, um, Elijah Hicks, the safety from California, so bigger school, and then we... Signed uh, o- uh, O'Donnell's replacement, or drafted, I should say, out of NC State, Trenton Gill, to round out that draft class. So, But it's like, all, all of a sudden, you know, Ryan Pohl starts making his moves. He turned those three picks we had at the, in the beginning of the morning into eight picks after all of his trades, and we walk out with a draft class of 11 guys, most of which will not be relied upon this year, but could end up being helpful down the road, uh, if anything. Yeah, that's the thing about day three picks is, like, we got spoiled by Ryan Pace. We did. We really did. The Darnell Moonies and the Bilal Nichols and the Adrian Amoses of the world in the fifth round. And I don't know that that's something we can consistently expect from from Ryan Poles. You'd like to see him hit on those occasionally. But, you know, chances are that most, if not all, maybe even all of those eight guys never really amount to much at all. I mean, we're already seeing Braxton Jones get first-team reps, so that's a good sign for him at, at that left tackle spot. And the fact that they use a fifth-round pick on Dominique Robinson as a player who switched from wide receiver to defensive end like a year ago and is still just brand new at the position, yeah. but they like him enough to use the fifth-round pick. Like, that description of a player, a wide receiver playing defensive end for a year at, at Miami of Ohio, not even Power 5, Sounds to me like a seventh round pick or an undrafted free agent that you give a shot at. But the fact that they see enough in Dominic Robinson and I've seen the flashes from him too, like bodes well for him. But I, I certainly think once you get past the fifth round, you get to the sixth round guys, I, I'm not 
really holding my breath on anything crazy coming out of there. Maybe the punter, because good punters happen in the seventh round all the time. But the rest, if you get anything, that's a bonus. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a lot of what's happening there. And it was kind of like, you know, like the Green Bay Packer mentality, because how many times did the Packers have like a 10 or 11 guy draft class? And the point there was to raise the odds that you hit on some of these guys. Because like with the Bears going into the draft originally with five picks, there's not a lot of margin for error there. You know, margin of error. They just you, you got to hit on all of them because there's only five of them. You know, if you go in, you only hit on 40% of your picks. That means only two out of the five became guys that you can use. If you hit on 40% of 11 guys, that's more players that had an impact on your on your football team, and that's, uh, you know, we're talking maybe four or five out of 11 versus two out of five, um, you know, two out of five in, 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 in the way originally it was supposed to go uh, in the offseason. So I, I think that's more what the mentality was. Like, the more guys we get in, the better chance we have that we'll get something from them that will hit on these picks as opposed to thinking every one of these 11 guys is going to be contributors to Chicago Bears. And even from a team building standpoint, like financially, you save money if it's sixth and seventh round picks as your backups compared to even veterans on veteran minimums. Like you can, it adds up when it's eight players. If you're saving, you know, a couple of hundred thousand dollars, maybe even five hundred thousand dollars a piece, that's still like four million dollars that you're saving by having it be a six bunch of six round picks instead of veteran free agents in some of those backup roles. Presuming that the six round picks can still at least be like quality backups you do need them to play and be worth it but when you start filling it up with late round draft picks and stuff instead of veterans there is there is a financial savings there that can can work out to your benefit in the long run absolutely so uh, I didn't write down the um, undrafted free agents I do know one uh, for sure it's uh, Micah Du Treadway and the reason that I know that name offhand is that my sister's best friend is his uncle. And how is that connected to Kevin Bacon then? Is this five degrees? <laughs> That's how I'm actually connected to somebody on the roster. My sister's my, best friend yes. is his uncle. Is his uncle. Yeah. All right. You can have so, him on the podcast. I would love that to happen. <laughs> um, I haven't been able to, uh, to finagle it. Or maybe my sister just hasn't asked uh, or anything. I was like, if you talk to him, let him, you know, let them know that uh, I'd love to have them on or that I have a podcast and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, we'll see. It's anything could happen. But uh, he's I, one I, of the guys I've been bringing up. I've actually seen him a couple of times, like on that video where they take the rookies to Soldier Field, show them around Chicago and everything. Well, Mike is from Chicago or the Chicagoland area. You know, everything that they're showing him, he's been there a million times already uh, kind of thing. So they mentioned him, you know, Chicago, greatest city in the world. I grew up here, blah, blah, blah. But uh, he originally went to Notre Dame and did uh, and went and transferred to Minnesota as a grad grad student uh, and played a couple years uh, out there and that's uh, how he ended up uh, in the NFL. So he's got a real opportunity to stick on that. He defense. absolutely does. He's a, not a lot of depth at defensive tackle there, yeah, and he's huge. He's like six six, two, you know, three twenty. He's he's, uh, he's definitely a load. You know, a guy that you want in the middle of your defensive line, especially in a four three. So let's move on to the uh, schedule and start to wrap things up here. Um. NFC East, AFC East, not a lot of teams in that bunch that scare you. I mean, like at all. We're talking maybe the Cowboys in the NFC East, but Washington, New York, Philadelphia, 
manageable. Uh, and AFC East, obviously, Buffalo's a team you got to worry about. We'll see how New England is year two under uh, Mac Jones. Um, there's a lot of potential with Miami and what Mike McDaniel might be able to do to that offense. And then what is it's it's the Jets. So just offhand, it's not a lot to worry about. But Robert Sala is a good coach. Zach Wilson showed strides. Things could get interesting in that division. But on paper, it's a lot more manageable of a schedule than we've had the last couple of years. And um, I'm, I'm interested to see how it's all going to play out. Especially when you get the 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 place schedules from, from other teams, the same place schedule of, of the Texans in there and the, the Falcons. Falcons. Like, it's, it's about as favorable as you could hope for. I think some measurements have it as the most favorable schedule. I think I've seen at least one of those, like, opponent-adjusted schedules that, you know, analytic breakdowns of those that put Bears at least in, like, the top five easiest schedules, which should soften some of the expected struggles that we're, we're looking at this season. Not that they're going to be the worst team in the NFL, as some people might want you to believe, but, you know, this does not feel like the season where they're going to take one from Green Bay, for example. Right. Uh, the one raw deal that we got out of that same-place opponent thing was that somehow the Niners managed to finish in third place. Uh, in the NFC West. So we that's how we start the season, at home against the 49ers. And to be honest with you, if there was a time to play the 49ers, it's week one, uh, especially if they are going with Trey Lance and they move on from Jimmy Garoppolo uh, and everything. I want Trey Lance on his first start, not his 10th or his 5th or anything like that when he's got some real game experience uh, under his belt. I want him out there wet behind the ears doing it for the first time uh, against my team. Yeah, you couldn't have asked for a, a better placement there because weird things happen in week one. You know, there's always those games Absolutely. like you can't trust week one losses because sometimes teams are randomly good in week one. And it has seemed like in the last few years, I didn't look back at them, but bad bad things tend to happen to the Bears week one. They, they don't seem to benefit from the weird things happen in week one no. stuff in recent seasons. So, like, th- this would seem as primed as an opportunity for, like, Trey, to, to throw a lot at Trey Lance and for this new Bears regime to come out with a bunch of stuff that the 49ers won't be able to prepare for because it's you know new offense, new defense, all this stuff, and and show their toughness and maybe get that. I mean, you could see the, the path toward maybe that surprise week one win, but uh, by week two at Green Bay, no chance. Well, I mean, let's think about this for a second. Four years under Nagy, did we win a week one football game? Off the top of my head, I Just don't one. Just one. We beat Detroit, a game we should have lost. Oh yeah, that was that DeAndre, was the, DeAndre Swift dropping the game-winning touchdown in the end zone. Yeah, we should have like, lost that game, but we won it. But other three, other three seasons, week one at, at the Rams, loss, and then 2018 and 2019 were both the Packers. Yeah, and this, they almost beat the Packers the first the first year. time. The second one was miserable, but the first one, like they were up in like the second half, and he was playing really well, and it was like, holy crap, this is the changing of the guard, like yeah. this. You're watching it fall apart. If you're watching the Packers dynasty fall apart before your very eyes, it was like twenty to ten in the fourth quarter. And oh, uh, good lord! Yeah, yeah, that's. Thanks, Lauren. Appreciate the memories, bro. Did really the... went seventy-five yards on that last touchdown. Yeah, Jeez, he did. But you know what's what's even more heartbreaking is that one play earlier, Kyle Fuller drops the interception that would have won us the game. Uh, yeah. Would have put it away. He just, it hit him right in the bread basket. He doesn't come down with it. Very next play, Randall Cobb, 75 yards, touchdown, ball game. 
they were still two minutes left, but you just knew it was. Yeah, that was it. That was it. It was over with. They were they were fighting and scratching and clawing to get to that point. Once they finally got there, they weren't giving it back up, and they didn't. So, yeah, good times. So, but anyway, like you said, week two is the legally mandated primetime matchup at Lambeau uh, with the Packers um, because you know it just can't happen in daylight. Uh, in in Lambeau, it happened in 2019, which is the only time that it's happened there since like Favre was quarterback uh, with the Packers. Otherwise, it's prime time. It's you know Monday night, Thursday night, Sunday night. Bears Packers under the lights uh, in Lambeau. If you want to do that daytime shit, you do it in Soldier Field. You don't do it in Lambeau. That's all there is to it. So uh, week two at Green Bay, then. <laughs> Should pick up a couple of wins here. Home for the Texans on the road at the Giants, uh, and that's the first quarter of the season. It, it it does seem like you should be at worst two and two. Two and two, absolutely. Which like it's, that's that's not bad. It's not, not at all. Start. Maybe even three and one if you can surprise the 49ers, but Very two and well. two, yeah. more like that's what I was gonna say. It's like two and two, three and one, not out of the realm of possibility uh there. And um then week five the NFL throws us a curveball because um, we're playing Minnesota in Minnesota week five after six of the last seven years. And that's not an exaggeration at all, folks. Six of the last seven years, we finished the season in Minnesota. That's where it's been in Minnesota in January or late December for the last six years. And instead, we're going to be in Minnesota in October. It's like, pff, what the hell happened there? Yeah, they must have just mixed up their home and away because they still give the Bears the Vikings in Week 18. They, they just do. got the wrong place. So right. somebody messed up there, but that's just a clerical error. Yeah, had a healthy conversation with my good friend Chris Gates from SB Nation's Daily Norseman. Uh, that has been a running joke for us the last five years that I've had him on the show is that it's, it's always Week 17, always Week 18. We're in Minnesota. Uh, whether the game means something or nothing or, or whatever, but one thing you can do – uh, death taxes and bears in Minnesota week 17 is, uh, those are the three certainties in life. And, uh, they go ahead and, 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 you know, buck the trend, uh, this year, but, uh, we're at Minnesota week five, then the, the quick turnaround Thursday night against the Washington commanders, which is still taking some getting used to then another primetime game at Monday night football against the new England Patriots. And then the Dallas Cowboys, uh, at Dallas, to round out quarter number two. All four of those teams, fairly volatile in, in my mind. Like, I don't, all four of them, like, could be decent or, or or even good. This season, maybe Washington doesn't seem like they'll be good, good, but could still be tough. And, and all four of them, you could see a path toward not being as good. And I think certainly I have more faith in the Cowboys and Patriots than the Vikings and Commanders and would more firmly lean those towards the loss. But, you know, I don't trust Carson Wentz in the Commanders. It is a short week, so that's going to be tough for everybody. And, and weird things happen in Bears-Vikings games over the years. So, like, oh yeah, it's that's one of the more difficult-to-predict stretches. Uh, and, and even when you get to the game after with, with Miami, too, is in the same boat of, like, I just don't I, – I don't know how good those teams are going to be, and I don't know how – good the bears are going to be and that could be zero and four or you know it could be two and two or i mean i i don't know it could be three and one there's a lot that could happen in that stretch yeah i mean that's what makes it so interesting is like you know when, when the schedule comes out it's like we already know before it comes out who we're playing it's just the schedule answers the question when it's like how are these games 
going to fall? Are we going to have like a three game run, you know, three game road, you know, stretch in the middle of November or something like that? Are we going to have this arduous task where it's like the five playoff teams that we have on our schedule coming in? We play four of them back to back there right in the middle of, uh, you know, October and, and the throws off the trajectory of the rest of the season because we have four tough games and we don't win any of them uh, kind of thing. This schedule here kind of lays itself out in a way where maybe if we have a, uh, a, you know, we stumble against the Cowboys, then in the third quarter of the season, we have the Dolphins who are a mystery right now. But then we have the Lions, the Falcons, and the Jets after that. It's like there's there's another quarter of the season where maybe if we have a few stumbles in that second quarter, we've got some ground to pick up some wins and gain some ground, uh, you know, with some uh, uh, with some very winnable football games in that stretch of the season. Yeah, it feels like Falcons and Jets are are penciled in W's at this point, and you always like to think the Lions are probably, but they were, you know, they're uh, an ascending team and they still need exactly. Yeah. What that looks like, not that we have a bunch of faith in Jared Goff, but it'll just be a matter of like, okay, how just how bad are the Bears or how good are they, and where does that align with where the Lions are at this stage? But like that should be at least a two and two stretch, if not three and one with the Lions game in there, and 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 Miami's not a, a guaranteed loss either. If if Tua doesn't take the next step with the cast of receivers they built around him, that's not a that's not a, any kind of guaranteed tough opponent either. Right. So. And then probably the most interesting stretch that we have is at the very end. Because week 13, we have our rematch with the Packers in Soldier Field, um, Sunday, December the 4th. Then a week 14 bye, which is the latest one that you can have on the schedule. But that week 14 bye is sandwiched between three straight home games. So the Bears don't leave Chicago for the entire month of December. Because you have December 4th for Green Bay at home by week uh, for the, the week of the 11th. The 18th, we're home for the Eagles. Saturday, Christmas Eve, we're home for the Bills before we go to Detroit and then home for Minnesota. So four out of the last five games in Chicago, five of the last six weeks we are in Chicago uh, as well. So that is an interesting stretch of the schedule. We've got some tough games. The Packers are the Packers. The Eagles look to be poised to take the NFC East this year. And then the Bills are just a monster uh, in the AFC. Will they repeat last year's, uh, will they keep building on last year's uh, success before we finish out with two winnable games in the Lions uh, and the and the Vikings? It's a very interesting stretch to close out the year. Yeah, and so it's another one of those Vikings games. It's like, week last week of the season, will it, will it matter? Because yeah. I'm not saying the Lions game will matter so much particularly but that's that's two opportunities to finish really strong like yeah Packers Eagles Bills is going to be rough but like Lions and Vikings are both potentially winnable games in that stretch and if you could even if those two wins put you at seven or or six or whatever at the end of the season like that's still something to hang your head on going into the offseason instead of the the fart they ended on last year against the Vikings. That's a really great way to, uh, to to classify it. Like that was just a big wet fart there at the end of the season with the with the way that the game ended uh, in Minnesota, especially with the the effort that was given on that Patrick Peterson pick six. Like, have you ever seen an offense less likely to 
uh, you know, play defense, uh, you know, and try to actually tackle the guy as he ran literally the the length of like the width of the field. He literally made it from one side to the other. He's running all over the place. Nobody's touching him. Nobody's giving after him. Andy Dalton was just kind of standing there watching it all happen. You know, just like, yep, that's your 2021 Chicago Bears squad right there, guys. That's how it's all going to be buttoned at this guy's 160 years old. His one interception of 2021 is a pick six against the Bears. Outstanding. It was the closest to like a Trestman feel that Nagy got. Yeah. Yeah, it was. So so there's our schedule. You know, like I said, there, there's obviously some tough games in there. Uh, you know, the Patriots on the road at the Cowboys. And, you know, both matchups with the Green Bay, starting with the 49ers, who are with an eyelash of going to the Super Bowl uh, last year. Could things get interesting with the Dolphins? Uh, you know, the Eagles and Bills at, towards the end of the season. But again, there's a lot of meat on the bone as far as like the Bears probably piling up some wins with the Texans, the Giants, uh, you know, both matchups with the Lions. I mean, those are just winnable games. They're not automatic W's, not this year, I don't think, anyway, but definitely winnable games. Same thing with the Vikings, the Falcons, the Jets. So, I mean, it just just weighing it out, looking at what's winnable and what isn't, Eight and nine, nine and eight. You know, this year it's it's not out of the realm uh, of possibility with the way the schedule falls this year. Yeah, I think there's like four definite wins in, in the Texans, Falcons, Jets, and um and and one Lions game. I mean, at this point, you can kind of usually count on one of those, and then from there, it's like can can they sneak one? Or excuse me, it's the Giants. So Texans, Giants, Falcons, Jets are the, are the four definite winnable games. Probably get one against the Lions, and then you know, can you sneak one against? The 49ers, the Commanders, the Cowboys, the Dolphins, you know, the, the Lions, the Vikings, and and find you know one or two or three more wins there to put you up into the six, seven, eight type range. That that's about where I'm at. It is you know how, how many of those games that are a little bit more up in the air and even can can Matt Eberflus sort of sneak away with or, or will his team to being you know more tough and disciplined than that opponent when the other team is going to be perhaps more volatile. Yeah. I mean, but it's it's not by any stretch uh, like when I saw the schedule when it came out last year. Like, okay, uh, Raiders, Week Five, Packers, Buccaneers, Forty ers Steelers, Ravens. Like, that's that's six losses right in a row, right there. I said that when the schedule came out last year. It almost was, and it almost was. We got that win over the Raiders, but then I was right the rest of the way around. Five straight losses uh, after that, and then of course eight out of nine. Uh, with Arizona, Green Bay, and Minnesota, you know, piling on before our our respite against the Seahawks and the Giants, uh, you know, to get those last two wins uh, for the you know four and ten going into that game against Seattle, just disgusting. So it was so bad. They were they were three and eleven. We're four and ten. Is like yeah, here's a slobber knocker nobody wants to miss. So yeah, what a mess, <laughs> what a mess. But. Uh, yeah, like, but the schedule doesn't stack up the way that it did last year with that black hole right there in the middle of, you know, five, six awesome teams, each one of which made the playoffs last year, except for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Well, actually, the Ravens didn't either. I was wrong about that. But the Raiders did, the Packers did, obviously the Buccaneers did, the 49ers. It was the Steelers and the Ravens that, you know, you looked at were playoff candidates and ended up beating us but falling short. No, the Steelers did make the playoffs. They were a seven seed last year. So the Ravens were the only team out of that bunch that didn't make the playoffs. And the funny thing is when we played them, they were like the number two seed in the AFC or something. They really fell apart after they beat us. So, um, 
yeah, it, it's it's the schedule doesn't stack up the same way this year as it did uh, uh, last year. There's a lot of spots in the schedule. Like maybe we lose here, but we got a chance like next couple of weeks to at least get one win in the next two or three weeks to kind of you know uh, even things out for us. Is there a particular level like we we know? This is not a team that's ready to like really push for the playoffs. But like, is there a floor that's like they have to? I mean, obviously, like they have to at least win those big four against like the Texans, Giants, Falcons, and Jets. But like, is there a floor that hits you where you're like they have to do at least this, or else I have real concerns about Matt Eberflus and Ryan Poles? It's kind of a twofold answer, you know. I was like, I think eight wins is possible here. It's not the floor, but I think eight wins is possible. But if the floor is lower than that. I at least want to see some competition in those games. I mean, how many times did we walk away from a, not only from losses, but from wins, feeling bad about the game, the last, especially the last two years, in 2020 and 2021? 2020, we were an unworthy playoff team. No way in hell we deserved to be in the postseason, and it was proven to us when we got blasted by the Saints uh, in that wild card game. But it's like, you know, even in wins, you come away feeling like you lost because we just, we managed to win the game. Like you and I were talking beforehand, and I've used this phrase on the show before, we had so many yeah, but victories under Matt Nagy. Where yeah, we won, but this. You know, there, there's always been a caveat to the wins where it's like, you know, you walk away not feeling good about it. And I'm hoping that we walk away feeling good about some losses this year and feeling even better about the wins. That, that's what I want to see. How that translates into wins and losses, we'll see when it all comes down. Uh, you know, We've walked through the final game on January 8th against the Vikings. I'm more concerned about the product we're putting on the field than I am. Like the progress we see from Justin Fields, which we haven't talked about yet, is probably the most important thing that we have going on this year. You know, He needs to take a step and to show that he is the guy that we drafted and you know, these are hopefully the guys that are going to help him make that big step and to be somebody that when we have a hundred million in cap space in 2023, that will attract some of those free agents our way so we can close the gap. Yeah, I think that's, it's not about, I mean, yes, wins and losses matter and are what they're playing for, but I, I agree with you that measuring this season as a, as a success or failure to me is less important on the exact number that they win. Like they can't be pitiful, but like as long as they give you that feeling of, of progress, hope, direction, you know, optimism, a plan, a direction, that's what matters the most for me this season. And whether that's five wins or eight wins is a little bit less. I mean, of course I want them to win more games and it's more enjoyable. Absolutely. when they win more. Yeah. But like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to lose my my stuff over a five six win season if that's if that's what it comes if they're fourth at the NFC North if you're left feeling like it's the right direction as a result yeah yeah I I think that's the that's what it, it's it, that's what's more important looking at the bigger picture I mean obviously we as Bear fans are frustrated being the bottom dwellers of the NFC North losing more games than we win always coming in second in the two-man race that is the Bears versus the Packers uh, and things like that. But I think it's, it's, it's far more important, bigger picture, that we make some progress uh, as a football team, as in an organization, than it is to go out there and make 11, you know, win 11 games and make an early playoff exit. I would much rather 
you know, watch this team build and grow this year. Watch Justin Fields make some progress, make that big step, and then let's make our move in 2023. Let's use that cap space. Let's use that full slate of draft picks. Go out there and, you know, put it together and see what we can do in 2023. Yeah, that seems like it's it's the plan, and it's it's, mm-hmm. it's so, I think, for the fan base. But if, if, if it plays out and they can sort of work through it the way they intend to, you, you can see where there's there's a promised land in there somewhere. Right, absolutely. Well, Lauren, as usual, uh, I think we've uh, outstayed our welcome <laughs> with our with our conversation here. But uh, you know, we, obviously, we look forward to having you you uh, back on uh, as much as possible. Uh, I, I imagine we'll find a reason to get you on before because it definitely won't be a mid season review at the week fourteen bye. Uh, you know, we always have you on the show that week to kind of uh, you know go over the first week of the first month of the season or the first half of the season, I should say. Uh, but I'm sure we'll find a way to, to get you in there. Maybe we'll do a quarterly thing this year with, with 17 games and no bye week till week 14. Maybe we have you in after every quarter and, and have a little conversation about what's going on with our beloved. How does that sound? It's, it's hard because how do you divide it 17 into four? Right, but exactly. It's like one of these quarters needs to have five, and with the bye week in there kind of cutting it up weird, it's we'll, we'll find a way to do it, I'm sure. Absolutely. So where can we keep up with you in the meantime until we get you back on? Yeah, of course. Uh, you can hear me five days a week on the Locked on Bears podcast, wherever you get podcasts, and on Twitter at Cox Sports One. There he is. Lauren Cox, ladies and gents, helping us preview the 2022 Chicago Bears. Hopefully that uh, when we have you on to do that year in review uh, in January, we are talking about the progress of Justin Fields, the the Bears kind of showing us who they are. Uh, you know, worried about whether or not Luke Getzey's going to get a head coaching job and we're going to have to get a new OC, you know, and things like that. Uh, I'd be much happier having conversations like that when we try to wrap up this season. A good problem to have would be a nice change of pace. Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks so much, Lauren. So there you have it, guys, the 2022 Chicago Bears, which wraps up our 2022 opponent preview series. This is always a bittersweet thing because talking about the Bears with Lauren at the end of this is probably my favorite episode to do. Uh, I know it's the most popular one. You see the downloads are kind of all over the place uh, with the other uh, episodes. I appreciate you guys uh, for listening to you, especially those of you that have listened to them all. Um, you know, I know it's not a lot of fun talking about these other teams, but it's, I find it very educational. I have a lot of fun talking to these other podcasters and beat writers and bloggers and, and things like that. Guys who have the same skin in the game with their teams that we have with ours. And, um, you know, it, it makes for great conversation to talk about these teams, to learn about our opponents, things we probably wouldn't, you know, find on ourselves because these guys, uh, you know, are in the trenches with their teams like we are. Uh, with ours so you know it's uh, it's bittersweet because I, I have a great time doing these shows um, and here we come to the end of them we've got a little bit of a break and um, you know I'm gonna see if we can do what we did uh, last year see if I can get either Ross Jackson back or if I can get someone else to tag team with me to kind of do an NFC preview and an AFC preview maybe even throw in some uh, predictions 
at the end of it, like Ross and I, yeah, Ross and I did last year. Uh, we'll see. We've got a, we've got some time because we got three weeks before training camp, uh, before the preseason starts. So we can you know definitely do this during the uh, preseason time. Don't hold your breath on that one. No, <laughs> it's like I don't know if I'll be able to uh, get to it. And if I don't, then the next time you hear from me will be uh, when we review the Week One preseason matchup with the Chiefs on the thirteenth th- uh, of uh, August. So. We'll uh, we'll see how that goes. Um, definitely looking forward to watching Hard Knocks with the Lions and um, to be able to see them up close and how they're building their franchise going into year two uh, of their regime that started last year. Um, and, uh, yeah, getting through these next few weeks to get to the preseason, uh, to get through the preseason, to get to the regular season, which is where the fun starts. Uh, I can't wait. So it's... It's getting shorter all the time. I think uh, I saw the other day we've got eight Sundays between now and week one, and I'm thrilled about that. Uh, I think we're we're under like 50, like I think today with being Wednesday, Thursday, you know, being when, when you guys are here this, I think we're like 52 days or something like that before the before week one, you know, maybe even less than that if you count the Thursday night uh, kickoff with the Bills and the Rams uh, week one, so... Yeah, it's coming, and it will be here soon. So, um, you know, I heard somebody say, boy, this has been the fastest offseason ever. That's that's a damn lie. <laughs> it's, just, it's just, no, not at all, man. It has not been a fast preseason or a fast offseason at all. But, um, you know, it's amazing. Uh, it's it's kind of like what they say, like it's like what it is raising raising kids. You know, the days are long, but the years are fast. And that's kind of what this, this offseason was like. It just like the days... We're long, but before you know it, here it is. It's mid-July and training camp's about to start, you know, and you're going to blink your eye again, and hey, the Bears and the Chiefs are kicking off to start the preseason. And before you know it, that first Thursday nighter with the Rams and the Bills will be here, and then a few days after that, the Bears kick it off at home with the 49ers at Soldier Field. So it's it'll be here before you know it. Just be patient, guys. So uh, be sure to follow me on the social medias. Maybe if I drop another episode between now uh, and the preseason beginning, it's at BTU underscore Larry on Instagram and on the Twitter. And you can also find me on Facebook. Just search Bears Talk Underground on Facebook. So anyway, guys, that is going to do it. We closed the book on the 2022 opponent preview series. Now we look ahead to the actual 2022 season. I'm excited. So keep an eye out for the new episodes dropping. If not, you'll see me again when the preseason starts. And until then, my name is Larry D, and this has been the Bears Talk Underground. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. 
I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro... Cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.